Hi, I'm Mitchell, and you're listening to a Public Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thanks for listening. And again, thank you so much for being here today. If, if we haven't met yet, my name is Todd. It's just been a great morning so far. And I'm just wondering, do you have people in your life who only talk about themselves? Um, don't look around. It could get real awkward real quick, okay? But they're the type of people that you come up to and you begin to ask them questions like, like how are you and how's this going? And you follow up and they never reciprocate. Like they never ask you any questions back, you know, these people. Okay. Um, not only that is if they ever do ask you a question back, like, well, how are you? It's amazing how quick they can redirect the attention back to themselves, usually by interrupting us, right? So, so we've got these type of people in our lives. If you're sitting here going, am I that type of person? Yes, this is an intervention. I was emailed your name. I've got a list of names right here. Um, we'll read those later. No, we've got to ask these questions. And then how do you feel being around stingy people? You know, the, the type of people, yes, I, I'm with you on that, boo. The type of people that, like, you couldn't, you, it feels like you couldn't pry a penny out of their fingers. Like, they are so stingy. And they're just like, wherever they go, they just have this. And it's amazing that they have this inability to give to anyone else, but a great ability to give to themselves. Because they've got nice stuff, and they buy things for themselves. They, spend anything on, they will spend anything on them, but they won't spend a cent on anybody else. You know what I'm talking about? We don't like being around these type of people, um, but the question is, how do we not become these type of people? And some of us are already going, oh, there's a little bit, I'm being kind here because it could be a lot, but there's a little bit of that in me. And these are questions that aren't just for those of us who claim to follow Jesus or those of us who say, you know what, I don't yet follow Jesus. These questions and thinking about being selfish and self-absorbed, this is for all of us to consider if we are in the label of human and if we're living in a culture that has a gravitational pull towards self-absorption, welcome to our current culture. This is for all of us to consider. Now, now, parents, just to dig in with those of us who have kids or if one day you want to have kids, we've got to train our kids to not do this. Because if we're just honest to, to meddle in our business a little bit, we don't really enjoy when our kids go to play with the kid that doesn't know how to share, do we? Because we're having to like work on our kids ahead of time and train them like, hey, they're going to take your toy, and when they do, you just punch them in the mouth. I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> However you train your kids to deal with that, no judgment here. But you're having to, like, train them, like, hey, when they're selfish, when they don't know how to share, here's what you do so you don't get in trouble, da, da, da. And it's just exhausting. And, and part of our role as parents is to help our kids be successful and to set them up so that people will naturally like them. And if they don't know how to share and they're self-absorbed, then we don't naturally like people like that, do we? So we want to train our kids on how to share and think about others because that's setting them up for success. So today what we're talking about is how do we become the people that we want to be? How do we become the people that we want to be? And, and that type of person is someone who is focused on others and who's generous. Because deep down, that's what we want to be. So how do we do that? And so we're going to be in Isaiah 55 if you want to go there in your Bible, Bible app. If it's also going to be on the screen in a few moments. And as you go there, just a little warning about this journey. We're not going to start with some behaviors and outward action. If we're going to become people who think about others and who are generous, it's got to start in here. After all, Jesus said that our words and actions simply mirror what's going on in our heart. So if we just become more generous or just think about others outside and do a few actions, unless we've been changed in here, it is not sustainable. 
So we want to invite God to do a work on the inside that's going to manifest itself in outward action. And this is part two of a series called It's Beyond Us. And last week, to kick off the series, in case you weren't here, if this is your first time, what we did is we talked about the fact that our sin issues are often rooted in sight issues. One of the reasons that we run back to sin is because we have a faulty view of God. And we look to other things to satisfy us because we don't believe that God is the one who can satisfy us. And apart from the talk we had last week, as Brittany Crabtree hosted and did a great job, she shared this quote that has just gotten stuck in my mind. And it's going to be on the screen. Maybe you want to write it down. But she said, stare at God and glance at our lives. Wow. And that is from a community group study that her group is walking through. That is good. That we need to stare at God and glance at our lives. So here's what we want to do. If we want to fight back against the gravitational pull of self-absorption, we need to get the focus off of us, and we need to spend some time staring at God this morning. And so that's what we're going to do in Isaiah 55. And if you're thinking, man, why do I need to stare at God? I don't even believe in Jesus. I'm still trying to figure this thing out. Look, if you're in the room, you've made it this far in the gathering. If you're listening to podcasts or watching online, you've made it this far in the talk. So let's just give God a chance, and let's stare at him and see if we might be changed as a result. So God is speaking in Isaiah 55, and here is what God says. Is anyone thirsty? So come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. Pray with me, please. Father, as we read your words, I pray that we would focus on what you're saying. That amidst distractions and thoughts that of what we have to do next or what we just walked out of, that you would just remove that spirit of distraction and give us just the ability to focus and to stare at you. Just get our minds and eyes off of us for a little bit. And let us just stare at you. And may we be changed by what we see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we think about what God is saying here. I'm wondering if any of you are surprised that this is what God is saying. Maybe this is different from the version of God that you grew up with or that you were handed where it's like God's kind of out to get you. And he's just wanting something from you. Well, if that's the version of God that you've been handed, let's set it aside and let God speak for himself. Because when God speaks, here's what he's saying. He's asking some questions. He starts and he says, is anybody thirsty? In the Hebrew, the original language, he's basically saying, is anybody close to dehydration? Now, I would love for you to imagine it's a hot summer day in Tennessee. I know it feels great right now. But it's a hot summer day in Tennessee, and you've been outside, and you were just sweating. And I come to you and offer you a big glass of sweet tea or lemonade. How many of you want the glass of sweet tea? Anybody? Okay. What about lemonade? Who's saying, let's just pour those together in an Arnold Palmer? Okay. That's what I thought. So you're hot and you're sweaty and you begin to drink the Arnold Palmer. And the thing you're going to discover is that lemonade or tea or an Arnold Palmer, it doesn't quench your thirst. It actually sparks more thirst. You may be drinking liquid, but the sugar in it is actually going to make you thirstier. We're drinking something that doesn't actually quench our thirst. Now imagine that last night, 
All you had for dinner was a bag of your favorite potato chips. Now, first off, anybody hungry this morning? Anybody miss breakfast and you're like upset? Like, I'm never coming back unless I have breakfast. Because he's talking about food. I'm just angry. But anyway, what's your favorite flavor of potato chips? Just shout it out. Salt uh, no, that is, uh, uh, can we move her, please? <laughs> anybody first impressions? That, okay, I'm good with that. We're just a certain, who likes salt and vinegar? Really? There is that many of you who've been deceived. The prayer corner is available, people. We, I mean, another flavor. I got to get that out of my mind. Okay, Doritos. Yes, that's good. I just got to get like salt and vinegar. Yeah, something. I mean, I'm struggling here, okay? I got to get my mind off of that. But anyway, you've had your favorite bag of potato chips, and that's all you had for dinner last night. How are you going to be feeling this morning? Oh, yeah, not good. Now, if we're honest, a lot of us have lived this because we've been watching a show or a sporting event, and you're just like eating chips, and all of a sudden you reach in and are like, oh my goodness, I ate that whole bag, and I'm going to feel terrible later. Okay, we've, I've been there at least. I'm not going to say we've all been there. But the thing about chips is they taste good, but they don't satisfy us. So what God is asking questions about is how often are we running to things to quench our thirst that just spark more thirst? And how often are we turning to things to satisfy our hunger that just leave us more hungry? And obviously he's not talking about food and drink. He's talking about metaphors. And so God says there's actually an alternative. He says, actually, why don't you come and drink? And I love this. Even if you have no money. Take your choice, wine or milk, it's all free. Are you beginning to see the generosity of God here? And what God wants to offer us is something that actually satisfies. Because he says, listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Here's the thing about God. God satisfies our desires with no letdown. He satisfies our soul-level desires with no letdown. Everything else has at least some kind of letdown. That may just be a little bit, but everything else we get, like we know we're going to have that letdown that follows it, not God. He can actually quench our thirst and satisfy our hunger. But in order for that to happen, our posture matters. Because it says, come to me with your ears wide open. Hebrew often paints word pictures. And so the word picture is you basically stretch your ear out as big as you can get it. It's like, I want my ears wide open so that whatever you're saying, God, I want to make sure that I'm hearing it. So I'm just wondering if that's our posture this morning. If we're kind of closed off to God, don't go there. No, no. Or we just say, God, what do you have to say, God? Let let me just lean in and stretch out my ear and anything you want to say, I'm going to receive it. Because he's the one That can satisfy us at a soul level. And then he says this in verse 3. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey. Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. So now God is going to reach into Jewish history because he chose his people, the Jews, to show himself to the world. And he points to their greatest king. And he says, look what I did for David. And we may be wondering, okay, well, if we're not Jewish, then how does this apply to those of us who follow Jesus? There's a couple things that God wants us to see here. One is that sometimes 
He does give us influence. Sometimes he gives us a platform. Sometimes he gives us an audience. But whenever he does that, it's not about us. It's all about him. Whenever that happens, then our audience or platform could just be that person at work, that one person that just for whatever reason listens to you and that you can talk to and you feel a connection with. It doesn't have to be this huge audience or huge stage. We need to understand whenever that happens, that influence makes us want to think it's all about us. It's not about us. It's beyond us. It's all about God. And any influence we have, any gifting we have comes from him. That's what the end of that verse says, that he is the one, the Holy One of Israel. He is the one who has made us glorious. What does that mean? It means that all of us are glorious in some way because we reflect the image of God. There's some things that just naturally come easy to us. Some of you are the opposite of what I opened up with, and you are so good at listening to people and getting them to open up and empathizing, and they share things they didn't even know they needed to talk about. With you. Others of you are just incredible with kids. And, and you're just so gifted walking into a room and, and being around kids. Some of you are just smart and you love to study and you're gonna get your doctorate and you're gonna do research or whatever that is and you're gonna make a big difference in the world. And when all your friends are like, oh, I have to go to the library and study, you're like, oh, I have to go to the library and study. Yes. Because you love it and you're good at it. We're all glorious in some way, but you know why? Because God has made us glorious and we're supposed to reflect his glory. It should never be about us, but it's always about him. Are you getting a moment just to stare at God? As we continue to stare at him, then he says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Which raises a pretty troubling question to me, which is, are there times when God's not near? (laughs) Like, does this mean that there's moments where I can't find God? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, he tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. In other words, God is always right there. The problem is, if God's here, here's what we do over time. We move, don't we? And in our lives, what we can actually do is we can say no, 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 no. So often that we harden our hearts and then we don't even realize that he's actually just one step away because we've moved so far away from him. But what this is saying is, Come to him because what we need to realize, if you're in this room, you're not far away from him. You haven't moved that far. And even if you think you've moved far, you took a step back by even coming in this room. If you're listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube, you've taken a step towards him. So take advantage of this moment. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Call out to God now because you're obviously close to him. You've at least taken a step towards him. And no matter how far we are, he is only one step away And so I love verse 7. Verse 7 just so clearly displays the heart of our Father God. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. For all of us who are wicked, for all of us who have rebelled against God. By the way, that's all of us. Because scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. For all of us, God doesn't say, nope, not today. Nope, you're too far away. He says, come back to me. I I think maybe a better translation of turn, and it's in some of your Bibles, is return. They said, come on, return to me. In other words, he's inviting us to repent. 
Repent means a change of mind that results in a change of lifestyle. And that is evident in this verse because it says, Let them change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. In other words, God likes to work inside out. That's how he works. So if we just start with behavior and this isn't changed in here, it's not sustainable. You know what God does? He changes our hearts. He aligns our minds with him. We begin to love like he loves and feel like he feels. We're going to think like he thinks. And then you know what happens? Then we begin to act like he acts. That's what repentance is. It's a realigning of our ways with God's ways. And so it says, turn to the Lord. They will have mercy. Turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. I think some of us read that verse and go, he might forgive generously. God really knew what I've done. Maybe he'll forgive you. I forgive you. I don't know if he's going to forgive me. Jesus already died on the cross for us. Romans says that while we were enemies of God, he died for us. The path of forgiveness has already been paved through the blood of Jesus as he died on the cross. There's no might. He will forgive if we just repent and turn to him. He wants to forgive us because Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross. He paid the penalty for all of our sins and he rose from the dead letting us know he not only can forgive us, he can help us to walk in freedom and overcome our sins. So the question I have for us is the question God's posing here. If you don't follow Jesus, do you want to repent? Do you want to follow Jesus? And before you answer, you may be going, I haven't heard Jesus in this passage. Are we sure that Jesus extends the same offer? Well, in John chapter 6, Jesus is going to say some things. And I'm wondering if it sounds familiar. Here's what he says in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It sounds like Jesus is quoting Isaiah 55, doesn't it? He's saying the offer of God flows through Jesus. And then in chapter 7, he says this. He says, Any, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood up and, listen, he shouted this to the crowds. There's all these people around. And he shouts, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And again, Jesus sounds a lot like Isaiah 55, doesn't he? Because we see God speaking in Isaiah 55 and we see Jesus acting because he is God and only saying this but dying on the cross to make that way so we could come to him and be satisfied. So you're tired of eating potato chips and drinking Arnold Palmer's that just leave you more thirsty and more hungry than where you begin with? Come to Jesus. And if you want to do that, just stop listening to me and start talking to Jesus. Just tell him, Jesus, you died, you rose again. I, I just want to give you my life. I want you to be my king. And if you do that and you're in this room, please go back to the prayer corner so we can talk about baptism and next steps. If you're online, email us prayer at publicchurch.com so we can have that conversation with you. Because if we don't follow Jesus, he's saying, look, I'll satisfy you, but you got to follow me. you got to repent. Now, for all of us who follow Jesus, we need to buckle up. Because we got to repent, too. Oh, Repent? That's for the people who don't follow Jesus. I'm really glad you gave them that offer. Like, we're good. We're already in. We already follow Jesus. Well, what God says in Isaiah 55 is going to reveal some ways that we don't completely align with the way of Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, then we have to do what Jesus did. In fact, he said that verbatim in John chapter 13, verse 15. He says, I have given you an example to follow. 
Jesus speaking, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I don't know about you, but there's no gray area there. Jesus isn't like, hey, when you feel like it, when things are going well, when, when life's good, then I want you to just act like me. No, he's like, hey, no matter what's happening, no gray area, pretty black and white, do as I have done. So what we have to do is as we've stared at God in Isaiah 55, and we've seen God, we got to go, hey, do I mirror that? Am I mirroring in my everyday life what I'm seeing from God in Isaiah 55 and what I see Jesus do when he walked on this earth? So here's what we're seeing in Isaiah 55. We're seeing the self-giving nature of God. That he is self-giving. But yet, so often, what are we? We are self-serving, aren't we? So our repentance is to evaluate our lives and go, how and in what ways do I need to replace self-serving with self-giving? So I can align with God. And here's the thing. For those of us who follow Jesus, this is what we've signed up for. And in the South, it's easy to be like, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, parents went to church. Went to church. I'm a Christian. Do we even understand what that word means? Like it was a derogatory term when it was introduced to the early church. And you know what it meant? Little Christ. In other words, you're acting so much like Jesus. I'm like, man, you just, you're like Jesus. You're walking around and talking and acting just like Jesus did when he was walking around and talking and acting on earth. So are we that or is it just a label? If we're going to be a disciple, this word is laced all throughout the New Testament. Which if we are a Christian, that means we're a disciple. That means we literally follow in our master's footsteps. We follow in the steps of our king. After all, we call ourselves Jesus followers, which means, y'all are smart, we should follow Jesus. So whatever Jesus is doing, we should be doing, not in our own strength, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us in Romans chapter 8. So through his power, we actually have to follow Jesus, to be little Christ. So as we see that God and Jesus are self-giving, we got to go, how can I be self-giving? And we do that by serving in generosity. By serving in generosity. That's how this practically walks out in our lives. But understand this. Everybody can be generous. Jesus followers have a lifestyle of generosity. Everybody can do some acts of service. Jesus followers must adopt lifestyles of service. You see the difference? It's not just, okay, I'm going to choose to be generous in this moment. It's going, man, my lifestyle better be generous because that's the blueprint of Jesus. It's not just, man, I can choose to serve in these certain circumstances. No, my posture and my lifestyle is serving because that's the blueprint of Jesus. In fact, this is what Jesus said later on in John chapter 13. He was so clear. It's right before he goes to the cross and he said this, a new commandment I give to you, love each other. And then in case anybody in that room or anybody here wants to try to define love ourselves, said, let me just roll out the definition. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Jesus is the pattern. He's the blueprint. We don't get to define love. We simply stare at the self-giving nature of Jesus and we reflect that. We stare at how Jesus has served and been generous and we reflect that because here's what he says next. He says, by this, by, by loving like Jesus, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. In other words, living like this proves that we are his. There's a story that I, I just can't get out of my mind. It's really been bothering me. A 
friend of mine told me that his daughter, who works at a local restaurant here in Cleveland, is wanting to stop working at this restaurant in particular because of how bad she gets tipped by church peoples on Sunday. Do you feel that? Like people come into a setting like this. We raise our hands and we praise Jesus and we say, that's it. And we say, I'm going to live for Jesus. Then we walk out and go to a restaurant and we're so stingy that this girl's looking for a different job. That's not how it should be. Waiters and waitresses should want to work after church gatherings on Sunday because of how generous we are. Not how we say, can I pray for you? But how we put $10 on the table, people. We've got to put some money where our mouth is. It all should align. Let's pray for them and give them money. This is how Jesus was. So how do we make sure we're not like that? Well, I'm going to give us some practical steps. But before we get there and just undergirding all of these practical steps is knowing that the change has got to start in here. That's why we've been staring at God. The only way to sustain generosity as a lifestyle, the only way to sustain serving as a lifestyle is to be changed in here, to see the self-giving nature of God and let him change us in here and change us up here. And then that's going to come out. So don't just start with the action. But stare at God and let him change us on the inside, and then the action is going to follow. But what are some of those actions that we could take? Well, what does it look like? Specifically, we'll start with serving, to adopt this lifestyle of serving. Some of you guys are already doing it. In fact, can we take a moment and can we just honor everyone in our church family who has fostered or adopted or is pursuing that? Can we honor them? If that's you, you just exude the heart of God in how you're doing that. And so for all the rest of us, we got to ask some questions like, okay, maybe I'm not called to do that, but how can I support people who are? Maybe I am called to do that and I've just been running away from it. That's another question we have to ask. You know who asked those questions? People who have seen the self-giving nature of God and go, okay, God, how do you want me to serve the people that you love? On the screen is going to be our local justice partners, and they're just going to scroll through. I'm not going to talk about each one, but these are all the people that we partner with in our local community. And because we are a public church, what I mean is it's not a building, it's you and me. We're the public church. That means for us to be a public church and partner with them, that means some of us in this room and in the 930 and watching online as individuals, we've got to go partner with New Hope if the church is going to partner with them because we are the church. So as we're approaching the holiday season, and some of you have already bought your Christmas gifts and you're just disgusting, but whatever. <laughs> Not there yet. As we approach this season where we celebrate the generosity of God and sending His Son, maybe you need to begin to serve with one of our local justice partners. Not as an act, but as a lifestyle. College students, you're required to get hours of service. What if instead of getting to the end of the year and going, oh no, i got to get 20 hours. What if you let your church be a bridge that connected you with Willowbin Farms or New Hope or Foundation House or City Fields and you got to go be the hands and feet of Jesus to people in our community and your serving wasn't a task, it was an overflow of your lifestyle of being a servant. So let us be that bridge. Wherever you are, just email jade at publicchurch.com and we would love to get you connected with one of our local justice partners. But don't expect Jade to email you back in the next week and a half because she's going to be in Amsterdam with some of our team. 
And why is she going to be in Amsterdam? Because we have a team of, of four ladies who are going to Amsterdam to work with one of our partners there. And you know what they're doing for the first half of their trip? We're sending a team. There's another team coming in. And our team is simply going to watch the children of the other team so they can go out and share the gospel with people who may not have ever heard the gospel. What kind of people do that? What kind of people fly to Amsterdam to do child care? People who have been enthralled by the self-giving nature of God and go, man, how can I serve like Jesus? And that's who we are as a church. That's what we're invited to do. Maybe it's saying, you know what? I need to get some reps on Sunday and serve on a public team because what we do here is practice. And as we get reps and we're scheduled throughout the month to come get practice, that can overflow into our everyday lives. Because it's not about an act of service. It's about a lifestyle of service. That is the pattern of Jesus. But then generosity. We get uncomfortable sometimes. We talk about generosity. But Paul, who's one of the premier leaders in the early church, he's not uncomfortable about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's what he's saying about generosity. He says this in verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. In other words, he's saying, hey, this is just part of following Jesus. That we're just generous, that we just give. And I love that he calls it a gracious act because we give from a standpoint of receiving grace. Like we've received grace, so then when we give generously to others, we're just taking that grace that we've been given by God and extending it to other people. And so then he says this, he says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you to do this. No, nobody's twisting our arm and forcing us to be generous. But he says, I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. How we spend our money indicates whether or not we genuinely love Jesus. Do you catch that? Because Jesus is generous. So what does that mean? His followers should be generous. And if not, are we really doing what Jesus said with his last words? And are we really loving like Jesus? And then as Paul gets to this verse 9, he tells us the why. Here's why we're generous. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Oh, why are we generous? Paul says, because Jesus was. It doesn't get any more generous than leaving heaven and coming here. Now, I like Cleveland, but it's not heaven. <laughs> and Jesus left heaven to come here to this earth. So we could be rich. What's he talking about? Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3. So we could come to Jesus and have our thirst quenched. So we could come to Jesus and have our soul level hunger satisfied. So what does it look like for us to invest generously? Well, we have a practical opportunity coming up on Beyond Sunday, November 13th. Before I talk about exactly what that is, I want to say something kind of crazy that you may not expect. We're going to talk about what Beyond Sunday is, a chance for us to give and pledge. I'll define that in just a moment. But here's what I want to invite you to do. Leverage Beyond Sunday for your next step in a lifestyle of generosity. It is not just about a Sunday. It's about a Sunday that's a catalyst towards a lifestyle. So here's what I mean by that. We have an opportunity on Beyond Sunday to give and to pledge towards the vision of public church and what Jesus is doing. And we're giving specifically towards a new building. 
But as we're thinking about those kids' rooms, we're not focused on the rooms. We're focused on the kids who are going to be in those rooms and the families who are going to be changed because what happened with those kids in that room, it's about people. We're not just thinking about the aesthetics of a new lobby we're going to have. We're thinking about the people who are going to meet somebody else and find the friendship they were craving in that lobby. We're thinking about the fact that last week in our giving thought, we were we, we were told that we've been able to partner with the Caring Place for their Getting Ahead program. Blake is right over here, and he runs and does a phenomenal job. And we've been able to partner with them. And this is a, a program that helps people take steps out of poverty towards a sustainable lifestyle. And we've been able to house them. And guess what? In a new lobby, we can do more of that so that people beyond our walls can be impacted. We're giving because we're thinking about the fact that for the past several minutes, we've been able to stare at God in this space. And if we have a few more seats in this space, more people can come stare at God and be changed by what they see. So as we give, we have an opportunity on Beyond Sunday to not only make a one-time gift beyond what we normally give, but also to make a 2023 pledge that's beyond what we normally give. Say, hey, normally I would give this in the course of a year, but now I'm going to pledge to give even more for these changed lives. So the vision of those people being changed can become a reality of people being changed. But here's the key. Do not focus only on the Sunday. Let this invitation be a catalyst to become more generous in your everyday life. In other words... If we had a great Beyond Sunday and we even said, man, we can break ground because of what happened. And yet we all go to lunch that day and we don't tip well, that is a failure. If we show up and have this one-time gift and pledge and yet we go to work on Monday and we're just stingy and people can't pry a penny out of our dead little fingers, man, we have failed because it's about a lifestyle of generosity. So this invitation to give, let it cause you as a couple to sit and go, man, What is God asking us to do in our finances overall? Not just for this one day, but in 2023 as a whole. How can we leverage this one Sunday to take a step towards being more generous overall? That's what God wants us to do. Because he wants us to be people that mirror his self-giving nature. And parents, parents, what an opportunity we have. I heard a story from a son, and he was in his late 20s. He was talking about his dad. His dad was a businessman when he was growing up, very successful. So his dad would write a lot of large checks. And the son said, what would happen is when he was going to write a large check to somebody, to the church or somebody else, he would, he would bring the whole family to the table and they'd sit around the dinner table and he'd go, hey, we're going to write this check and here's why we're going to do it. And God's given us this to steward. And then as a family, they would pray over that. You know what that son learned to do? Be generous. It was put in him from an early age. So I heard that story and something that, that Whitney and I have started doing is I actually still write checks. I was born in 1986. I'm stuck in the 90s in some ways. But I still write checks. And so on Sunday, what we like to do with the boys is we get the boys and we take that check out. And we just tell them to put their hands on it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we can be generous towards your church. And they actually fight over who can put the check in. And they're going to fight because they're brothers. I love they're fighting over that. One of the reasons that it's easy for me just to give to the church is because my parents made me. I know Paul in 2 Corinthians says he's not making anybody, but parents, we can make our kids do stuff. We should make our kids do stuff, okay? (laughs) This is part of raising them God's way and training them. And so my parents would make me do that. So so the thing is, like, when I got my first paycheck, there were no questions asked. Before taxes, before I touched it all, 10% is going to the church. And I'm telling you, if I didn't give that much today, I promise you, my parents would find a way to access my bank account and make me give. Still to this day. 
So, so here's my point, parents. Here's my point, college students who don't have a lot of money. Here's my point, middle schoolers and high school students. If you start when it's small, it's way easier to do it when it's big. Start the generous lifestyle now. Maybe you didn't have parents like I had, but start now. Start somewhere because it's about a lifestyle of generosity. So public worship is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And as they do, we're going to finish Isaiah 55. We're going to finish our time just by staring at God just a little bit more. Because here's what God says about himself. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. At the end of this passage, God says, I want you to know how big I am. And as we take steps towards a lifestyle of serving and a lifestyle of generosity, God's going to ask us to do some stuff that we're uncomfortable with. And God's going to ask us to serve some people or give some amounts. And we're like, I don't feel good about that. Why is he asking us? Because he sees the full picture and our picture is so limited. So let's trust him. He's big enough to ask us. He's big enough to provide what he's asking us to do. And he actually says in this next verse, and I love this. We can anchor in this. The, The rain and snow come down from the heavens. They stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the harvest and bread for the hungry. And it is the same with my word. I will send it out, and it will always produce fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I sent it. You know what God's word tells us to do? You know what Jesus tells us to do? He tells us to serve and to be generous. You know what this verse says? That if we do what God tells us to do, we can be guaranteed an eternal return on investment for our serving and our generosity. That as we just live out his word, he's going to take care of the results. Can you imagine what's going to happen when we get to heaven? And people come up to us that we've never met, and they let us know, man, hey, your generosity helped me get here. Man, the way you served led me to find Jesus and to be here. Come on, can you imagine that? God promises that's going to happen when we do what he says. That there is going to be an impact beyond us. And then he ends with this vision of what's coming. This is what's going to happen in the end. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. God ends this by saying two things. Number one, in the end, God's going to restore all things. That's what this is talking about. And guess what? We can usher in glimpses of that restoration today by our serving and our giving. Isn't that good news? We can give people a glimpse of what's coming. And then it ends by saying this. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. These events will bring honor to his name. That as we serve and as we give, both as a public church and as individuals that make up a public church, it is going to be all about the name of Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about anything that we could accomplish. But what's going to happen is our serving, our generosity are going to cause people to see the self-giving nature of God and repent and follow Jesus. That he will get the glory. So let's just do what Jesus did through the power of his spirit within us. And if you need somebody to pray with you, go to the prayer corner. If you need to text somebody and say, man, I need some accountability to think about my next step to make these lifestyle changes of spouses if you need to say hey we're talking on tuesday to evaluate 
our giving plan and our whole spending plan for 2023 than do that. And as we do, let's just stare at God for these last few moments we have. Oh, Jesus, we're going to sing about how big you are. And we're going to sing about the fact that you are with us and that we're yours. So I just pray against the spirit of fear, the spirit of any kind of hesitation to step into this lifestyle of living like you. I just pray that even the lyrics of these songs through your spirit would combat that fear, combat that hesitation, and we would begin to look even more like you. Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social medias at a public church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of Public Church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting Public Church in all caps and no space to 77977. Again, thanks for listening 